Welcome to the Small Business Edge Podcast with Brian Moran, sponsored by Pitney Bowes. Now, here's your host, Brian Moran. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Small Business Edge Podcast. I'm Brian Moran, and today I want to welcome Greg Powell to our show. Greg is the head of brand and product product marketing at Funbox, a fintech company building the world's first payments and credit network. Uh, And today, Greg and I are going to talk about Funbox's own growth, specifically their rebranding program, which they just launched, and what we as business owners can learn from it. So with that, I'd like to welcome to the Small Business Edge podcast, Greg Powell. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, my pleasure, Greg. Uh, actually, I'm very impressed with what uh, is happening at Funbox these days. Um, now, for our listeners, you are you're based in San Francisco, right? And you, I think you launched your company in 2013. That's right. All right. So when when I looked at your company's history, it, it's it's a very impressive meteoric rise in your business. And so the first question I have to ask, and I'm sure my listeners are interested in, was the need for business funding that great? It was, uh, and still is. Um, If you think about the need that small business owners have for funding, it's one of the the primary pain points that a lot of business owners feel. Why? Uh, It's because large institutional, large financial institutions have not been doing enough to serve small businesses. This all started back in 2008 with the economic recession. Credit tightened, and when it did, small businesses were disproportionately affected by that. And so um, to fill the void, companies like Funbox came along uh, to, to come up with new, more efficient ways to underwrite small businesses for, uh, for credit so that, or to provide it, provide more efficient avenues to access credit to um, pick up where the banks left off, essentially, to, to, to fill the void left by the banks. Right, right. And, and, and we, we all remember that, uh, for those of, you, of us who are old enough or have had businesses long enough, remember what it was like in 2008 when um, it was really like, you know, companies with less than $5 million, I remember reading, just got whipsawed. Uh, yeah, because you, you didn't see it coming. You have a finite amount of resources and it was almost impossible to withstand because it wasn't just something that lasted three months or six months. I mean, you know, it, you know, technically, I guess it lasted maybe 18 months or something like that, whatever. But it was a very sluggish recovery. Yeah. And, and that made it even more difficult for small businesses. That's right. The approval rates, really, the bottom fell out on the approval rates, where all of a sudden small businesses used to get approved prior to 2008. They used to get approved at a much higher rate. It dropped down at one point, according to uh, the research that we, we've done, and via a website called biz to credit At its lowest, it was the approval rates were hovering at around 12 13%. Um, yeah, really, really low. So uh, almost nine out of every 10 uh, small business owner that was applying for credit was getting rejected by the yeah. large banks, by the large banks. So the need was extremely painful. And, you know, the approval rates have slowly been crawling back up. But now I think what the banks are finding uh, is that it's really hard for them to, even if they wanted to, to lend to an organization that may, that that's looking for less than say 250 to a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars credit or yeah. for a loan because it's actually not profitable for them. 
And so there still is, even, even though the approval rates have started to climb back up uh, amongst the, the large banks, um, there's still, there's still a tremendous unmet need. Uh, and, and that's, and that's one of the things that Fundbox is really trying to solve. And, and thank you uh, on behalf of all of the small business owners out there who have been looking for options for years uh, to help fill that void. So our segment's going to be, and we can, I, I know you and I can talk about this for days, the, the whole the financial end of it, but this is going to be a branding and, and a rebranding episode of uh, Small Business Edge. So, so let's talk about that because I think there's a great number of lessons um, for business owners out there who can benefit from what you've just gone through. So with your growth from 2013 to today, um, did you outgrow your own brand and messaging? Is that why you had to do the rebrand or you wanted to do it? Yeah, we evolved. Okay. And like a lot of companies, we evolved. Uh, we evolved in a few different ways. Um, one way that we evolved was that, you know, at the beginning, like a lot of um, smaller businesses or businesses that are trying to break through the clutter, you want to, uh, you want to really stand out. And so our original brand, we used a bright teal color. We used a lot of animations and we were a little bit irreverent in our communication style. And that really helped establish us. Um, amongst our competitors and peers and and it really allowed us to connect directly with small business owners but over time what we found is that as we started talking to more and more business owners as we continue talking to more and more business owners we, we we saw that what they were looking for is more of a reflection of them in the companies that they chose to business with and we weren't doing as much of that at the time so one is we wanted to update our look to reflect more of the business owners that we were serving and also our employees. What we found is that we always get really good marks. Uh, our customer support and sales teams get really, really high marks from our from our customers and, and prospective customers. And we wanted to show more of them um, in our in our brand as well. We weren't doing that much of it. The second the second the second thing that that I would say was was a part of our evolution is that we recognized that we weren't just serving small businesses though that is still the primary audience that we serve, we also are serving a lot of partners and sometimes they're enterprises. And so we wanted to find a look that would speak to both audiences that we were serving. So was there a, a moment or like a time when you said, okay, I think it's time for rebranding Funbox. Like how did that happen? How did that conversation start? I wouldn't say there was like a moment, but there were definitely some customer conversations that we had where we were speaking with someone, uh, you know, on, a, on the phone or meeting with them in person. And we observed them, you know, walking through our website and they were searching and searching for, say, photos of people. And we actually didn't have that many of them. Uh, and so, you know, the, uh, the kind of uh, alarm bells started going off in our heads, like we kind of need to update our look mm -hmm. and we want it to feel like it's, um, it's a reflection of those people that we serve. And with the existing branding that we have, with the visual identity that we had and the visual uh, vocabulary that we were using, it wasn't as easy to do that as we had wanted. And so at some point we decided to, um, we decided to take a hard look at our brand and say, do we want to make some adjustments to it? Do we want to do things like incorporate photography and, um, and reflect the larger partners that we work with through a series of small tweaks? 
or do we want to, you know what, just start afresh and, uh, and see what we can do uh, by making a really big splash with something brand new. And so obviously we went, we went down the ladder path. Well, so that's interesting. And, and for our listeners here, here's lesson number one is, you know, always be looking at your branding and the messaging that you're delivering to customers and make sure that it's, it's on target because if it's dated or it's, it's not connecting with them, then maybe it's time for a rebranding and, and really any size company can, can rebrand themselves. But what you talk about is the options, which I like, you know, when I think about your, your house, right? Do you need to tear down your house and rebuild it? Do you need to refurbish it or do you need to add on an extension to it? So there are mm-hmm. options that you have. I like that. Uh, so, so take us now, just take us through the journey of, of what it was like from the moment you decided, okay, we're going to, we're going to do this rebrand until you got to the final product. Cause I'm sure it's not, it wasn't a straight line. Yeah, it wasn't really a straight line <laughs> as a lot of these things, yeah, as, yeah. As, as these things tend to go. But first, um, first was uh, really getting buy-in and commitment from everyone at the executive level through to the people that would have to go in and, 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 uh, and actually implement the changes, the working team. And it started at the executive level with our CEO, Al, and his willingness to take this on because we recognized early in the, in the, in the process, once we realized that, Hey, we need to update this, that we did, we had, we'd kind of identified those two paths I mentioned earlier, which is, do we make tweaks and kind of go with what we currently have or do we, uh, or do we start something new? And, and we decided to start something new and it was really, but we, we didn't make that decision until he was fully on board because it's a huge commitment not only a dollar commitment from our perspective, it doesn't have to be. Uh, we chose to go on a path where we hired an agency and you know, that was going to, that was going to be, uh, that was going to be somewhat expensive, mm-hmm. but really it's, I would say even more than that, it's the commitment to dedicate the, the appropriate level of resources so that you can do it properly because you can have the greatest plans in the world and you can have a marker go off or someone go off and own this project and then come back. But if the company doesn't really have the appetite to commit to the recommendations um, and fully embrace the rebrand, it's going to fall flat. And so um, the first step in the process was that level of commitment from top to bottom across the organization. We're going to do this. We're going to do it right. And we're going to fully commit to doing it. And that means there might be some trade-offs down the road. If we have some items that we really want our engineers to build, but at the same time, we need to push through this rebrand. Like the rebrand's going to take precedent uh, at that certain time of year when we're rolling it out. And once we got that commitment, then we um, then we knew we were all in, and we decided to choose a- an agency to work with. We chose the agency. The agency first and foremost wanted to understand who our customers were, and so I mentioned earlier those two audiences that we serve. Mm-hmm. We serve, um, and really, it's now three. <laughs> but we serve the small business owners. Frequently, they use our line of credit product. Um, we also serve partners, the enterprises that might place Funbox into their workflow so that small businesses can access credit um, at, a moment, at the moment of need. And increasingly, on the, you mentioned that we are a B2B payments, uh, payments and credit um, network company. We are um, working with a lot of merchants 
who offer net terms but don't want to get wait to get paid, and so they use Funbox to um, to offer the net terms so that they can get paid right away. So that was the third audience. So the agency that we hired, Design Studio, spent a lot of time uh, really understanding who those those three different audiences were. Uh, they did that by speaking to them, listening to a bunch of recorded uh, conversations that we'd had with them, uh, and then meeting with a lot of internal stakeholders. Once they understood the fundamentals of the company, the mission, the strategy, and who we were serving, then they went off and, and built a strategy. Uh, um, once we had the strategy, then we started uh, working on the visual expression of that strategy. And uh, and after we had the visual expression, it was time to roll up our sleeves and actually implement it across all of our customer touch points. So, how long? I know the obvious question here is how long did that take? Yeah, <laughs> end to end, it took about a year. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah, which <laughs> at times that sounds like a lot of time, but I've heard of companies where it, t- it actually takes it can take two <clears> to three years, uh, larger organizations. So. There were times, even though that does sound like a long time, there were times when it actually felt like we were flying through this project. Yeah. And then other times, and then other times where we, you know, where we had to pause and say, "All right, do we like this decision? Because this is an important decision. Let's stop and think about this and really be deliberative." Um, but yeah, there were it, it uh, because there were so many different um, different elements of the of the company's presence that we wanted to update. We um, including rebuilding the entire website, it did, it, it took us a year. So, and, and I mean, I have a number of questions now. Um, first, I guess is, was there a point during the rebranding process where you had to pivot? And I, I, I'll give you a quick example. I just went through this. I had, I'm, I'm working on something and uh, a new community for business owners. And I um, was building it on the wrong platform. And, um, it, 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 you know, people were telling me, I don't think this is going to work. And it took me like a few months after everybody told me that, but finally I just said, you're right. I need to, I need to pivot this. I need to put this on a different platform. And that's a painful decision for business owners to make, you know, where, because we have finite amount of resources and, you know, we want to make sure we, we try and get as many things right the first time around, but we don't. But the lesson that I had learned, I've had previous companies where I I didn't learn the lesson until I drove it into the ground. Mm -hmm. And then I learned the lesson. Um, But did you you, um, have that moment where you said, "Mm, I don't think we're on the right path here? We fortunately did not. Okay. And I think one of the reasons why is we employed something that you've probably, it's an expression that you've probably heard before, which is go slow to go fast. Yes. Because we knew that this was going to be a big investment. We knew that it was going to um, require a lot of resources and take a lot of time. When there were moments when we had to make a decision, we really thought very carefully and got buy-in at all levels before we committed to that decision. Um, and this was true. This, so this was true at the very beginning, as I mentioned earlier, but also at steps along the way where we said, all right, this is an important moment in the, say, the strategic development or in the development of the look and feel. Like 
But once we go down this path, it's going to take a lot of time to unwind it. So are we fully committed to this? And once we said yes, then we, we were all in. Um, and so I feel very fortunate that we had a team of executives that we were working with that really didn't waver in their support. And once they made a decision, they were all in just like the working team was. Right. And, and there's another expression too, when you said that, uh, it's a, what Taylor's, you know, what used to say measure twice, cut once. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, exactly. and, and, and that is for, for my listeners out there, you should write that on your office wall somewhere. Um, because you, you really do want to make sure that the path you're choosing one is is the right path, but two is one that if you need to make an alteration, you at least don't have to go back to where you started from. Yeah. That's that's when things get expensive. So let, let's talk about some of your objectives. So again, thinking about our our my listeners and, and your customers, you know they would they would think about rebranding their business as something that's nice to have, but it's not a need to have. And maybe if they understood, better understood what some of the objectives or goals are for rebranding oneself, it would help them. So was, was your goals to like better communicate with your customers, better position yourself in the marketplace? What were you hoping to accomplish with this rebranding? So we've been known as a company that can offer access to credit to small businesses Mm-hmm. We do a lot more than that now. And part of what we wanted with the rebrand was to a little bit hit the refresh button to say, we're more than just, I don't mean to say just as if it's not enough, but we are more than <clears throat> the line of credit product that we offer. Right. And I thought that was, I think that played an important role for us to say like, Hey, you know, this is a company that you should take a look at because um, they're doing some interesting things and they seem to have their finger on the pulse of what's going on. And so that was definitely uh, one factor. And then I would say uh, the other factor is better speaking to our customers, as you said. You know, like, again, we, with our original brand, we were trying to cut through the clutter. And we did. We did a good job at that. We had the bright colors. We had the irreverent um, illustrations and animations and things like that. And that really helped put us on the map. But what gets you from A to B doesn't necessarily get you from B to C. Right. So we, we, we figured that in order to get to C, which obviously isn't the, the end state, but is another step in our journey, that we had to change and we had to, uh, we had to evolve. And, and that's why we made those commitments. So I'd say it was part repositioning and part speaking more directly to our customers and really demonstrating that we understood who they were. Did you incorporate um, some of the new ways that, that your customers are interested in communicating with you into the rebranding uh, proposal? And by that, I mean like social media or uh, any kind of digital communications. Every single touch point that we have with our customers was rebranded. And so, uh, like from the social media platforms that we use, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, to uh, the website, to the, you know, PowerPoint templates that our biz dev team uses when they go out and talk to partners, to, um, you know, the logo in the signatures of our sales team's emails, everything got rebranded. Within, and I didn't think we would be able to pull this off, but it actually, we actually did it all within a few hours. 
Uh, like really? it all went, li- it all went live within a few hours. Obviously we've been working on it for a year, but yeah. we, we scheduled it so that it all went live within a few hours. I'm still scratching my head as to exactly how we pulled that off, but somehow we did. And, um, and yeah, so very, very quickly, um, Funbox one day on September 18th had a new look and, uh, and we had, uh, talking points for the sales team. We had talking points for the biz dev team and our executives who were going to talk to the media about it. And, um, and yeah, and so we, we were, we were pretty prepared for it. And when it did go live, it felt really, really good. And we got a good, we got a good reaction from our, from our customers as well. well I, and that was my next question. So what's the feedback been like? Has it, has it all been positive? Have you made any corrections or changes since you did the rebranding? Yeah. So the corrections that we've made, so by and large, I would say 99% of the feedback we've gotten has been very positive. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because some of the words that we used, like energy, empathy, uh, that we used in the creation of the new look um, were actually words that small business owners played back to us without any prompting. And that was, that actually gave me goose flesh where I was like, Oh wow, this is actually working. This is, this is speaking to them where they actually use some of the same words that we use when we were developing it. That was really, really, really exciting and very rewarding. Um, and partners alike have said, Oh my gosh, this is great. One of the things that I think the partners have liked is we went from having one dominant color, which was this really bright teal to having a color palette. So now we have five, five colors in our entire color palette. Each one has a light and a dark shade. And so what that allows us to do is actually flex really easily with our, with our partners. If a partner, we have one partner, uh, that, their primary color is, is orange. Mm-hmm. And with that teal next to the orange didn't really look good. And so this right. new color palette allows us to be way, way more flexible in adapting to the context in which Funbox appears. And so that could be, you know, that could be a paid media placement or it could be, um, you know, in a partner's workflow, whatever it is, uh, it's, it's going to look really, really good. And that was, that was another, um, that was another key point, uh, that, that had us thinking about rebranding is, is working with those partners. So, um, the things that you, you asked if there was anything we had to do differently. Yes. And, um, mostly it was more on the functional side. When we rebuilt the website, originally, uh, the website was built primarily for the small business audience. Right. And eventually we kind of, added or glommed things onto the website um, as audiences expanded and as the product portfolio changed, um, we tried to make adjustments and tweaks to the, to the website and eventually it became a little unwieldy. And so in the new site, we organized around the audiences we serve, uh, business owners, uh, merchants and partners. What we found though, was that there were a few elements that we had built in the website for a variety of those audiences that didn't quite work. Um, and, and so what we did is we used some tools that I would recommend your listeners use like usertesting.com, which allows you to, uh, you know, put a piece of creative, uh, onto us, onto the user testing platform. They then recruit the target audience to go look at it. And they, um, the recruits record their voices as they give their feedback on what they see. And so that gave us really, really fast feedback on a lot of the elements of the website that we thought, "Mm, maybe this will work, maybe it won't. We got really, really fast feedback from customers 
uh, and prospects on what they liked and what they didn't like, and that allowed us to make changes pretty quickly. That's interesting. Usertesting.com. That's right. Is, yeah. is really, wow. really, really good tool. You know, that, so kind of getting into the home stretch of, of our podcast, and this is fantastic, um, you know, takeaway. There are some really good takeaway items in here for our listeners. One of the things I, I know that they're thinking of, and, and as we're kind of getting ready, you know, entering 2020, new decade, new look, you know, I want my listeners to start thinking about that. How can we make ourselves better? How can we make ourselves stand out? You know, what can what can we do in the new year to make a new us? And so as they look at their website, they look at their collateral material, they look at their logo, what are some of the indicators that they should look for when trying to consider whether or not they should be rebranding their business? So one is how distinct and ownable is your look? Mm. You know, we um, at Funbox, you know, use some elements that um, I would say were unique to us at the time. And then we saw a lot of other companies kind of, uh, to some extent, I don't know if they were copying us or using or just came up with similar ideas on their own. But there were, um, uh, you know, the look that we had did definitely stand out from the crowd. But by 2018, 2019, there were other companies doing something kind of similar. And so I think one thing to think about is, do you stand out? Do you, are, do you look unique and differentiated in the market? So that's one thing I would ask. Okay. The second, um, the second is, do you speak to your customers? Um, in a way that's a reflection of them. Brand building today is different than brand building 20 years ago. 20 years ago, the company would build a brand and push it out through four different channels, you know, print media, TV, uh, and a little bit of online, and really push out what they thought their brand was. Today, people don't align with brands like that. People don't respond. They're not receptive to brands like that. Today, people want to see themselves in the brand. And there's this idea that, that people actually kind of co-create brands with the companies that own the brands. And so I think people need to listen to their customers and be very empathetic to their customers and make sure that their brand really resonates with their customers. If it doesn't speak with your target audience and be honest with who your target audience is, Hmm. you are not trying to serve everyone. Who is your core audience that you're serving and does your brand really resonate with them? Yeah. Do they see it as a reflection of them? I think those are two really important things that people need to think about when uh, when reflecting on whether or not their brand uh, you know needs an update. Those are great points, and and you know I try and get my clients, my listeners, my readers to do that a lot. You know, it's it's ask the question: Why do my customers buy from me as opposed to? everybody else. And people might buy from you and align themselves with your brand for different reasons. So it's not just one reason that, that you have, you know, you know, a buyer or a customer, you can actually probably segment them into different groups, but um, not knowing why, you know, your unique selling proposition. And if that is built into your brand is so disadvantageous, right. To, your position in the marketplace, right? I mean, you have your competitors, you have new people coming into your marketplace and you have customers that are constantly changing, 
right? With the mm-hmm. ebbs and flows of the market, it's so important to know this is what kind of where I am in in the um, in, in the marketplace. This is what I stand for, and this is the part of the target audience that I'm going for. Exactly, and it's okay to target a narrow segment of the of the market. In fact, I would encourage you, I would encourage your listeners to do just that. Yes. Getting, actually getting uncomfortably narrow, narrow with who they're targeting. And we, I used to work at, um, at Clorox uh, a while ago and worked in brand marketing. And we used to have this thing that I think, think still holds true today. In fact, it might even be more true today than it was then. Um, and by then, I mean 10 years ago, so it wasn't the dark ages, but, uh, uh, but it, was, it was a little while ago. Digital media has obviously changed a lot since then. But, yes. but, it's, but this, 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 is still, this still holds true, which is by getting uncomfortably narrow, you want to think of your customer target if you were to look at a dartboard or like, uh, you know, uh, like a target where there's a bullseye and then there's spheres that radiate out from that. Mm-hmm. Your bullseye might only be 12% of the market your bullseye target where you absolutely nail it for that audience. But if you choose the right audience, there's going to be a halo effect to other audiences where you might have a secondary and tertiary target where you might say, well, my primary target's about 12% of the market and that's okay. But this other 25% of the market's actually really attracted to what that 12% wants. They're not quite the same, but they actually view the bullseye target as somewhat aspirational. So you go after the aspirational target and then all of a sudden you get one rung out or two rungs out from the bullseye. Those people like it too. And so there are ways of getting uncomfortably narrow and really standing for something. Yes, you may alienate part of the market, but you're really going to, to speak to the audience that, um, that you're trying to serve, which is really what you want. That's how you build your business. That's how you build your brand. And how many listeners, raise your hand, would, would love to have 12% market share? <laughs> well, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so that, that would be great. And, and I guess one last point in, in, in thinking about this is that within that 12%, you know, what, is, what does the other brand messaging look like? You know, are you parroting your competitors' brands? Or how are you standing out among that narrow audience? You know, um, you know, somebody says, uh, you, you know, and, and I'm going to blank on it, but, you know, the idea of, um, uh, you know, we can deliver, I, I think it was uh, uh, FedEx, right, who said we can deliver it absolutely positively overnight. Mm-hmm. Well, the other companies did that as well, but that was what FedEx was touting, right? And when they were back when it was Federal Express and they were saying, you know, absolutely positively guaranteed overnight. And everybody offered that, but that's what the company built its messaging around. And so, you know, what is your talk trigger? What is your unique selling proposition? What do you want to be known for within that 12%? Yeah, I think that's really well said that obviously you want to have a product that's highly differentiated and you want to have a product that's very unique. There are situations, however, where if your product is really unique and you get pretty popular, guess what? It attracts competition. Sure. And so, uh, so, in just about every uh, you know, vertical or space or category that you compete in, you will run into competition. And your brand can be a tremendously powerful lever um, for you. Uh, well, first and foremost, so you don't get caught up in, a, in an arms 
race to the bottom in a, right. in a race to the bottom by competing on price, because that's a really, really tough way to build a business. Unless you have some sort of tremendous competitive advantage on your cost of goods sold or the process that you create something so that you have a tr tremendous cost advantage, that is a surefire way to low, just develop a business with extremely razor thin margins. Um, and so in the absence of competing on say price or a highly differentiated product, if you're in a really competitive space, you turn to brand and you turn to something that's uh, like brand. And you mentioned the FedEx example, which is a good one because the product wasn't necessarily highly differentiated, but they owned that message. Yes. They owned it because they committed to it. They knew what their customers wanted and they committed to that message and used it everywhere. And it became a very central part of their brand. And so I think, and of course their brand has evolved since then, but, but I think at that time, that's a great example of a, t of a time where there was a lot of competition and yet their brand really helped the investments they made in their brand really helped propel their business. I was actually just reading, um, I was doing some research as we rolled out the brand across multiple offices here at Funbox. I did some research to try and say like, well, why should our customer support team in Plano, Texas or our, um, our developers in Tel Aviv, Israel, why should they care about the brand? And why did we make such a big investment in our brand? And from resource, from a resource perspective, like all these people got involved, I need to explain to them why brand really matters. To some people, it was really obvious, but to others, they needed that little nudge. And I actually found an article that said that uh, the companies with the, 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 the strongest brands actually had significantly higher profit margins. Hmm. And that brand actually mattered more in a B2B environment than it did in a B2C environment. That's not to say that brand doesn't matter in B2C. It absolutely does. Yeah. But the, the, the conventional wisdom is that if you're selling B2B, oh, well, everyone's rational when they work for a business and they're selling to it. <laughs> no. Yeah. There's that old saying that, uh, that no one got fired for hiring IBM or no one got fired for hiring McKinsey, which right. are obviously really well-known, prestigious companies. And that's because emotions really matter in the B2B purchasing process. And, and, that, and brand plays an important role in that. And so I think that it doesn't matter if you're selling B2C or B2B, your brand really does matter. It really, really does. And it will influence decision-making on the part of your customers. We're gonna end it on that note. That is absolutely brilliant advice. And for my listeners, I hope you took lots of notes today on whether or not you should consider rebranding yourselves as we enter a new decade. Uh, if at the very least, you should at least test your brand in the marketplace. Are you serving the right audience? Are you delivering the right message? Do you understand your competition? So many questions that you can ask now as we prepare for the next decade and how to best position yourselves uh, in, in the marketplace. So Greg Powell uh, from Funbox, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you for your insights and sharing your own rebranding story. Um, I know my listeners appreciate it very much. Well, thank you, Brian. It was a pleasure to, to be on the show. Yes. And with that, everyone, enjoy the rest of your day. Make the most of it. And I look forward to your feedback on our podcast and having you join us for podcasts in the future. Have a great day. You've been listening to the Small Business Edge podcast with Brian Moran, sponsored by Pitney Bowes. Please visit our website, smallbusinessedge.com, for a listing of future podcasts.